What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Meeting Enough Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about your favorite filmmakers and the deeper meaning within their films. This is our top 10 list of 2021. We are finally doing our top 10 list of the top 10 movies of the year of 2021. I am here with the crew, RB3 and Sabrina, here to count down our list. Uh, before we get into the list, we always do a little brief synopsis or a brief little resume as far as what we thought about the year 2021 in film. Uh, I'll start with you, RB3. What are your overall thoughts of the year, especially looking at your list now that it's in front of you? Uh, still a little weak. Uh, weak year, definitely weak year in cinema. Um, but there's some, there's definitely some gems that uh, I definitely mind out of the top 10. It was just, it was a little trickier to get to 10 movies that I like loved, love though, um, in the year. But it's uh, overall, you know, overall good stuff, overall good stuff, but a little, little underwhelming too. What about you, Sabrina? Honestly, I'm kind of the opposite of RB3. I thought there was a lot to offer within this year, even with the circumstances that we've had. Um, whether it's like streaming or theaters or whatever, there was a lot of really good releases, a lot of hidden gems. It might've been hard to kind of get access to some of them. Like one of the ones on my list, almost nobody has seen, I'm assuming. So I'm going to talk about it very briefly without spoilers. It's just, it's a difficult one because, you know, like last year, what we had, um, we counted some films that we may have not in other circumstances because the Oscars extended their kind of like, um, you know, like, accessibility like everything that's able to be nominated that year oscars were pushed back there were some 2021 releases at the beginning that i counted for 2020 so it got kind of messy a little bit in there but overall i'm really really happy with my list and it was hard to narrow it down to 10. uh that's amazing that you guys have two differing opinions on that uh welcome back to the meaning of man uh differing opinions to abound <laughs> uh let's do this man so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go Around the horn, we name our 10. Uh, we let our person say what they need to say. And if the other person has that on their list, which I'm assuming we will have some overlaps. I'm just going to assume just because it's us. Um, we get to talk about that later on in our list. We will do this as quick as we can because we know this could take two hours. <laughs> we don't want to take two hours. Uh, I, hopefully, I'm not jinxing it right now, but I'm pretty sure we got this. And we are starting with the boy... The man, the King James himself, uh, Mr. King of the Fourth Quarter. With that RB3. amazing uh, comeback they had yesterday. Jeez Louise against the New York Knicks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 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 bottom of the barrel East team. All right, there you go. Talking all that. Forcing an overtime <laughs> with the almighty Lakers. Number right. 10, RB3. Number 10. My number 10 is definitely a movie that came out early in the year. Uh, got some good recognition, but I personally really dug it. Uh, it flew under a lot of people's radar, but I think the director, uh, <clears throat> we're going to mispronounce his name, um, Janicia Bravo um, from Zola, who directed Zola this year, uh, was actually a surprisingly uh, uh, fun movie. You know, I thought it was really well done. I thought there was a lot of intentional choices that made sense, like that reflected the characters in terms of like style. And I think, you know, um, I thought it was really creative, especially for something that was, I'm not sure if this was this filmmaker's like debut film or they had, you know, some other things before, but it showed a lot of promise and a lot of skill. And for a story that was like really popular and had a lot of expectations behind it, I thought it delivered. So that's my number 10. RB3 with an A24 already. Uh, oh, yeah. Sabrina, what is your number 10? My number 10 is Last Night in Soho. 
Um, oh. Also, Zola, RV3's choice, immaculate. It just made my honorable mentions. Um, but Last Night in Soho is my number 10. Edgar Wright is very hit or miss for me. And I know hardcore Edgar Wright fans don't really love this film, but I think I really, really appreciate the writing and the way that he tackled like a female story within this, because that's something we rarely get to see in his filmography. There's really not a lot of women and that's nothing against Edgar Wright. You know, you write about what, you know, you have your own thing, but I do think that this was a really interesting take on this, like, 80s psychological diploma suspiria like some argento something along those lines that i thought was really refreshing when i kind of look at the list of films that came out this year i think anya taylor joy and thomas and mckenzie were both incredible the camera work is just like spectacular so the choreography that they had to do with that i think is amazing so that's why it's my number 10. already differing uh films on our list i love it uh, and speaking of different films, my number 10 is a film that received quite a lot of discourse uh, throughout the year. I, I had to put it on my list, and I think it's the biggest movie um, that's on my list, and it's at my number 10, because I, I had to put a movie that's big, that represented like a bigger atmosphere. Uh, and it's a movie that I've obviously been a fan of and following forever when it comes to the franchise. I'm talking about The Matrix, uh, The Matrix Resurrections is my number 10 movie of the year. The more I think about this movie, the more I fell in love with it, the more I was shocked at how well-written it was, at how uh, just emotional it was, how many messages this movie had is just insane. It's stacked with so many themes of like nostalgia, of the future, of our past, of the present, of how it affects us, of how we honor uh, our heroes, of how our heroes can turn into something that's too much and how our, our art can turn or our love of something can turn into something that's a weapon that's used against us. I, I thought this movie was so profound and so different, obviously very self-aware and very goofy, which is not like the other Matrix films, but I felt like what Lana Wachowski was doing was so immaculate as far as what she accomplished. And yes, the action isn't as up to par as the other movies, but everything else beyond that is just so much heightened to me that I just absolutely love this movie and everything it represented when it comes to the Matrix franchise itself. So that's why it's my number 10. That's that's fascinating. I mean, I I liked I like Matrix Revolution uh, Matrix uh the new one a lot, but I would have never uh I would have never anticipated it being on your top ten though. That's 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 bold. I wouldn't have thought about that, but it makes sense. Like you're a hardcore Matrix fan. And I feel like this film kind of like tackles a lot of what you want to see as a fan with a long awaited sequel. Yeah, I, I thought it was so profound. And obviously everything that Lana was doing when it comes to, you know, commenting on our world and how we're going down this weird road. Uh, it just felt so timely and so perfect that it, it just perfectly encapsulated what 2021 even was itself. So I was like, damn, this movie's so layered. Uh, RB3, you're number nine. My number nine. Well, I'm just letting you know, I'm letting you know up top, the, the next two slots are paid for by Disney. So, uh, Disney, thank you very much for sponsoring this episode. Um, <laughs> they, they had, you know, Disney, obviously, ruler of the box office. I had to shout out a couple of their films that I really enjoyed. Uh, my, of course, uh, they had a lot of stuff, Marvel, Star Wars, whatever. Um, but there's only one movie this year that actively inspired a huge change in my life, um, at least in terms of my hair, and that's Corella. So uh, Corella is my number nine of the year. I legit saw. I was gonna like, say your hair, bro. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be here. With, you know, my hair wouldn't be here without Cruella. Yo, um, I'm inspired by Emma Stone, Cruella Deville. You know. <laughs> yeah, big facts, big facts, big facts. That's why I'm saying on the Oscar stage if I get there. Um, now nah, this movie's like this movie's like dope. It's fire. I I feel like the score from um from our boy Nicholas uh, Britil. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he like you know Succession, all these amazing scores. Of Bill Street could talk, but Corella he really put his foot into that. Also, the director Craig um, Gill was it Craig Gillespie? Gillespie, yeah, from yeah. Itania, and obviously has the new Pam and uh, Tommy series on Hulu, which I don't know if y'all checked out the first episode. Of that is wild. Um, so yeah, all of this stuff is just. It's just really, really good. I really enjoyed it. The cinematography was on point. Um, both of the Emmas, Emma Thompson and Emma Stone, gave magnetic performances. Um, so yeah, definitely one of my one of my favorites of the year, and probably the best to me. This is the best Disney live action movie that they've that they've done. So fair. Big, big I one hundred percent agree with that. Uh, Sabrina, you're number nine. My number nine, and it's honestly a crime that it is this low on my top ten. But that's how much I love my list. Is in the Heights. Um, directed by Don, John M. Chu, just so much energy and so much love and so much passion. Like this is a film that is comfort. It is warmth. I didn't even know that I could love a musical this much, like a musical film adaptation, because sometimes I think they really miss the mark. We see that with like Rent and other things, but also hearing that John M. Chu is taking on Wicked gets me really excited for what he's going to bring to the table. And of course he did step up to the streets. Like that is a cinematic masterpiece. So he is just bringing these out for us. Like he's showing up and showing out. Um, the cast is incredible. The entire ensemble this was the most I've cried in a theater this entire wow. year. I'm a very emotional theater person. Like I really just get into films all the time. And oh my God, Olga. Oh my gosh. Just, ugh, I can't even, I'm speechless. Um, this is something that is just like love in a film. That's a great number nine. Uh, <clears throat> my number nine, going from In the Heights to my number nine is quite a drop when it comes to mood, because this movie was not a very uplifting movie, but a very a very well done movie from my boy, my favorite director, the man himself, Ridley Scott. I'm talking about The Last Duel. The Last Duel was a movie uh, starring Adam Driver and Matt Damon, and obviously Jodie Comer, who to me was the star of the film. This movie really makes you feel like, oh my God, being a woman during this time period. Sucks, uh, but it also shows you different perspectives, and it shows you three different perspectives from three different people. Um, two of them who are pretty vile human beings. One of them being a complete, absolute, disgusting monster, which is Adam's driver's character. Uh, but it it shows you this basically, you know, three pronged view of a story that is being told, and how the different points of view and points of opinions come into play and how it all just ends up the same, which is on top of Jodie Comer's character, which is so sad to see. And obviously this movie ends in a very bittersweet ending. And I feel like it's a very significant movie. It's a very powerful movie. And it shows you how difficult for ages this point of view and perspective must have been uh, for her character and for everyone who's dead dealing with that during that time period. It's just a really tough movie. It's a really tough movie, but I feel like it was incredibly well done. So that's why it's my number nine. 
I haven't seen the last duel. Um, oh, it was just, no, I ha there's a lot of these that I feel like I might see on your guys' lists that I just completely missed out on. Yeah. But what I find really fascinating is people are praising Jody's performance so much and she's not really in, um, awards conversation. So I'm excited to watch it and be able to experience that. I know it's a very heavy film, it's, but I also it's think it's something really important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely want to hear your opinion on it for sure, because it's a very well done movie, but it's also very tough. Like it, I, I found it hard to watch. <laughs> That's coming from me. Uh, and it was very hard to watch for me. But yeah, it's still a very, very well done movie. And that's why it's my number nine. RB3, your number eight. My number eight, like I said, uh, another Disney sponsored entry here. Um, this time is coming from our buddies at the MCU. They had a lot of entries this year. So what is it going to be? Is it going to be uh, Black Widow, right? Is it going to be ScarJo uh, taking this reign? Is it going to be um, Eternals, right? Uh, our, our girl Chloe Zhao just won uh, Best Picture, uh, Best Director last year. So, you know, maybe it's something like that. Uh, and it's not either of those. Um, I just got to be upfront. My my new favorite origin story in the MCU is Shang-Chi. Uh, Shang-Chi is just absolutely magnetic. Um, our man, uh, Destin, Destin Daniel Cretton, absolutely put his foot into this movie. I mean, it's just like everything from um, the father and son relationship to the action itself, like the use of practical action mixed in with like the CGI. Um, Bill Pope on the cinematography level, uh, making the camera look um, exuberant and, and like, and fun. Um, of course, even like, even the movie, I mean, Simi Yoon's like really charismatic, obviously, but a movie that actually made me like Aquafina, wild. So uh, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is really this is really a, a prized possession. I think is one of Marvel's one of my favorite Marvel movies recently, for sure. That's a great great number eight, uh, Sabrina. Your number eight. I am also on the MCU wave for this one, or like Marvel Sony. Uh, it is No Way Home. Of course, Spider-Man No Way Home, um, the closeout to Tom Holland's possibly first trilogy. Um, I think we're going to obviously be seeing a lot more from him in the future. But this film to me um, was a perfect, perfect kind of like closeout to the chapter of Tom Holland's story. He's been so involved in so many different ones, whether it's Civil War and Infinity War. And this was like finally seeing his origin story. This is like finally seeing him go from like Spider-Boy to like Spider-Man. Um, he's made so many adult decisions. He is on a completely different page than when we first met him in the most tragic way possible. I feel like Tom Holland's Spider-Man um, has gone through more than we've seen any other hero go through. The amount of loss and the just amount of things that he's had to do at such a young age. Um, and also, of course, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, like... It was just fantastic being able to see that on screen. Everyone flipped out. Um, and every time I've seen it in the theater, the energy has just been through the roof. Yeah, that's a great one. I love that you guys both picked like two <laughs> MCU type films. That's a great uh, combo. Uh, and to break that combo is my number eight with mm -hmm. a movie that I recently saw because I didn't get to see this in theaters. Uh, full disclosure, I wanted to see it in theaters. I didn't get the chance to, uh, but it's from my boy, my my Mexican brother himself, Guillermo del Toro, with Nightmare Alley at my yeah. number eight. This movie was a lot, like a lot to handle. Uh, starring Bradley Cooper, playing this drifter slash con man, kind of going from place to place, trying to dominate and assert his dominance in everything that he does and trying to be the bigger man in every situation and using his con ability to kind of get in over his head 
is essentially the thesis statement of the movie, but it's done so well because it is kind of this growing exponential like snowball that is rolling downhill ready to hit this town because he is just getting away with so much stuff that you're just waiting for him to finally get something coming right back to him and he does at the end of this movie. It's a really, really well done film, incredibly well shot, so much cool production design and obviously that's what he's known for that's what Del Toro does, and, and I love this movie. So that's why it's not my number eight. RB3. I still, I, oh, I, 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 no, I was going to say, I, I literally just came on HBO Max like this weekend, so I I, I was going to check it out like this weekend for sure, for sure. I yeah. didn't even know that, so I will check it out as well. Unfortunately, that was one I wanted to see in theaters. It's, it's uh, yeah, streaming. <laughs> that's the only way I saw it, uh, but yeah. I, I still loved it. So there you go. RB3, your number is seven. Uh, my number seven, you know, Mike Mills has a filmography of incredibly good human stories uh, from Thumbsuckers to Beginners, 20th Century Woman. But uh, to me, I really dug uh, his new entry from Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, starring Joaquin Phoenix, come on, come on. Uh, to me, it was just a beautiful um, representation of, uh, for one, Joaquin Phoenix's performance. Like we see him play a lot of crazy characters. Uh, whether that was, I mean, obviously Joker, he won an Oscar for. Um, everything he does in Paul Thomas Anderson's like filmography, like whether that's the master or anything, he just goes crazy. But this one's like a surprisingly like sweet and like incredibly human. He's just playing like a normal person, but he has to connect with this nephew who he doesn't really have a relationship with. And I don't know, it's just something about these simple, small slice of life, like black and white films that like really, um, that just really hit to the core, you know? And we've seen a lot of black and white movies this year, um, just in a lot of different types of genres. But this one to me, like really hit in a, in a way, you know, even there's even things that feel a little more artificial, like the tragedy of Macbeth or things that are like bigger budget that are black and white. But this one felt like a real human, raw, emotional, like 1950 or 1950s, like um, Italian neo-realism neo realism kind of film, you know, where it's just very like slice of life following these characters around. So I really, I really, I really enjoyed it. I really, I really dug in it. I think it's one of the, I think it, I like cinema that's just independent life, you know, so. Absolutely. Uh, Sabrina, you're number seven. Oh, I've still missed out on Come On, Come On. Um, that's on my list for sure. My number seven, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a slice of life, but it kind of reminds me of a similar situation. This is just like one isolated um, type of afternoon and everything was actually morning to like afternoon, evening and everything that goes down. Shiva Baby directed by Emma Seligman. Uh, Shiva Baby is absolutely fantastic. I have never felt so much anxiety, even uncut gems or anything like that. I have never felt this. I was like pacing around my living room. I remember this was one of the first movies I had watched, like towards the beginning of the year, this was the first one where I was like, I guarantee that this is going to be on my spot at the end. And like, for sure, it definitely is. Rachel Sennett plays the main character, the comedic timing, the writing, everything is just like so completely perfect. If you ever have like an overbearing family or any family events like that, you've definitely felt this. And also if you're one of those people that just makes really stupid decisions constantly over and over again, you can definitely resonate with this film. Uh, it, it's definitely an experience. So I would highly recommend Shiva Baby for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. What's cool about it is that it's so short too. It's like an hour and a yeah. half, right? Yeah. It's like a little bit less than an hour and a half, honestly. It's really, really brief. I don't think I would handle any more, honestly, if it was longer. It would be too anxiety-inducing. 
It's an intense movie. That was literally the first movie I saw when theaters opened up, like post, you know, I mean, we're still in pandemic times, but when the theaters opened up, that was literally the first movie I saw. So, yeah, that's that's quite an experience for sure. I, I definitely remember watching Shiba Baby <laughs> as well. Uh, speaking of uh, an experience, speaking of stress and speaking of all that stuff, uh, my number seven is Spencer, uh, starring Kristen Stewart playing the role of Princess Diana, who uh, is kind of a historical figure, a modern historical figure that has really become her own uh, encapsulation of everything against the monarchy and everything against, uh, you know, the usual of what we see in the media, the paparazzi, the way we discuss mental health, the way we discuss uh, interacting with different people, uh, her heart with charity and the way that she viewed others and it really is kind of insane what princess diana now represents obviously me being the biggest crown fan there is i, I religiously watch the crown and i religiously watch um re-watch the seasons uh because i i just love those stories so much and obviously princess diana is at the center of so much conversation because of that and kristen stewart obviously plays her amazingly well and her performance as far as being overwhelmed in these situations where she's dealing with mental health, where she's dealing with uh, uh, eating disorders, and she's dealing with this overbearing system that is in place that cannot be broken and has never been broken for, I don't know, a thousand years is kind of insane. And it really is a remarkable, small little story and slice of moment, not really slice of life, but a moment or a, or a couple days, I believe it's Christmas, that they're celebrating that really shows you the stress-inducing nature of what it feels like to be an outsider inside the royal family. So that's why it is my number seven. Uh, yeah. I'll be talking about that later. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I uh, just haven't seen it. Oh, there you go, RB3, yeah. I, I saw it as soon as it came out in theaters. Nice. Um, RB3, you're number six? Uh, my number six is one that you brought up early on, Dress, and uh, I, I personally hesitated to put this Matrix. one on the list. Uh, no, not Matrix, no. Um, I personally hesitate to put this one on the list. Because for one, well, for one, it's controversial. For two, I feel like HBO Max is, like, burying it, kind of. Uh, which, you know, if subject matter is, you know, definitely tough to deal with. But uh, I definitely also have a lot of appreciation for The Last Duel as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very, you know, it's a very touchy uh you know stuff that they're going into here and i you know it's very uh it's very tough but i feel like they they handled it in a very appropriate way in a much more appropriate way than hollywood has handled these kind of subject matters before um and it actually gives credence to the woman's perspective by indicating that it's the truth in the very in the very beginning of like her segment i just think that the whole process of making it is very like reminiscent of akira kurosawa's Ra rashiman in terms of like the three different perspectives all around the same kind of event um and also too there's nobody who shoots action scenes like ridley scott i feel like ridley scott is just a goat at shooting action scenes uh especially in the very beginning and the actual duel itself like had me like on the edge of my seat for real for oh real. My God. So, yes yeah, so it was it was it was good. It was it was a really real, really well made movie, uh, but I mean I understand people who are turned off by it and like understandably for sure. It, it's tough. It's definitely tough. But yeah, that last that last tool, as the as the movie is called, definitely lived up to Spoiler. the hype. And and the way they build up the stakes of it, right, is like you're just like beyond at the edge of your seat. You're just like mm. scratching. It's insane mm. how much you're just like screaming. I was screaming. I was just mm -hmm. like, oh my God, please. Mm -hmm. uh, Sabrina, you're number six. 
My number six is The Green Knight, directed by David Lowry. We got A24 represented again on this list. Um, This one, to me, I just feel like is hitting every single mark of just a story that I really enjoy and a perspective that I do. Because when it comes to like toxic masculinity and where you kind of belong in society and in the world and all these different things, um, that's just definitely, that's like challenged in this film Um, and like being courageous and like character growth and character development, but also paired with this beautiful lush cinematography all the landscapes are absolutely incredible. Like you can feel the texture through the screen. Um, and it is super, super slow. It is a very, very slow burn. I remember it was like this big thing that everybody was like jumping out of the theater saying that they hated this movie so much asking for like refunds. Um, but I think that's to be expected with a director like David Lowry, because he is very much so focused on the characters and the story that he is telling. And he does not mind whatever pace it may be that he wants to tell this story. We see that with a ghost story, something you and I both love that movie, Andres. Um, But like how little dialogue there are in this entire um, runtime, that's definitely shown again in The Green Knight. So I think it's fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to my number six. I swear, guys, I get lost so easily. Uh, But my number six is a film that we talked about quite a bit, Sabrina, and I still can't I still can't get over how I saw this movie because I still feel like it's kind of weird but funny. Uh, I'm talking about Coda. Coda is my number six film of the year. A very emotional story, uh, a very powerful story, and a story that is kind of unique. I, I kind of love how unique it is. Um, I, I believe Coda means child of a deaf adult of, of or of deaf adult. I, I feel like that's what it means. And and I and I feel like the the pitch of I want to be a professional singer, but my parents literally can't, don't know how to respond to that because they don't actually hear the singing I do. I feel like that's a very interesting and well done pitch. And the way they did it is a cool balance of partly comedic and, and part heartfelt. And the way that characters like Eugenio Derbez and Homeboy from his, I forgot that Irish musical. What's that homie's name? What's that? Sing Street. Sing Street. Homie from Sing Street just comes in <laughs> and, and just adds to the story as far as ambition, being from a small town, being from a place where you want to accomplish more, looking towards art as a way to escape or as a way to manifest your emotions and your expressions in a world that is telling you that this is the only way you have to do things is something that I relate to quite a bit. So I feel like that is why the movie touched me so much. And obviously the performances are amazing. And that's why it's my uh, number six. That one that, is definitely, oh, sorry, number three. No, I was going to eat, you were going <laughs> to that, um, that movie is on my honorable mentions, but going along with what you said, rarely in like coming of age type of stories, like we see them go like, oh, nobody understands me. But we are literally seeing that they don't understand her like dream because they can't experience it. And they can't, they, she can't share her gift with the family. And that adds a level of frustration that is dealt really well with the humor and the drama. But the scene when she is performing and we get the parents' perspective of them looking around through the crowd. Like when you were talking about this, I just remember that and got chills. Um, So, so incredible. Yeah, it's a great, great scene. I'm sure we'll see it at the Oscars as well. Uh, RB3, what were you going to say? I was going to say that also my honorable mention as well. It's literally, if I had a number 11, that would literally be the number 11 like for me too. Are we on our top five now? 
Yeah, approaching top five. Yeah, we cruising, man. RB three, what's your top five? <laughs> Number five. Wait, are we gonna take a break or? Oh, you. Oh yeah. Let's take a break. Uh, coming up after this, we're gonna get into our top five movies of top, uh, 2021. So make sure you guys stick around. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. With the four fifth divide, you in half. Did you watch this year's Oscar nominations? If not. Be sure to check out Andres and RB3 reacting live to the Oscar nominations yesterday morning, exclusively on First Cut YouTube channel. Here's a clip. The nominees for performance by an actor in a leading role are Javier Bardem in Being the Ricardo, wow. Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith in King Richard, Okay. And Denzel Washington in the tragedy of Macbeth. Whoa, what a strong five well done, right there. Beautiful. Thank strong you, Felicia and John and all of the students who joined Loving us. Loving that five today. right there. And now, two black nominees. Nominees for from performance by an actress in a leading role. Come along, children. Now we're going to have a little music. What is up, guys? We are back counting down our top 10 films of 2021. We have reached our top five films of 2021, so the anticipation is building. RB3, what is your number five film of 2021? So my number five film, I would have never, ever, ever in a million years expected this movie to hit my top five, let alone this top 10 list in general. Um, just didn't seem like my type of movie. Just the trailer didn't hit me. Um, but man, I gotta, I gotta be honest with y'all. And I texted y'all as soon as I finished this movie. Like, um, when I was on Netflix and saw the power of the dog, I was instantly, instantly blown away. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was about the film. I, I do know what it was. I think for one, it was, it surprised me with the themes that they were approaching with all of the characters. Benedict Cumberbatch had an amazing performance, but, um, Cody Smith McPhee um, just absolutely blew me away with uh, how how he was performing in this movie as well. Like you know his his character and his levels. Of course, Kristen Dunst too. Um, and then uh, yeah, I mean, just the cinematography was just on a whole different level. Is capture of landscapes. Um, there's a I mean, there's a, I you know there's in film school. There's definitely they have a lot of like those classes where they're like, take a look at this shot and analyze it and give me 30 different interpretations of like what this shot means. And I never really like had one of those kind of moments like in, in watching a movie, but there is definitely a shot in this movie that for the first time in like my whole life, I'm like, oh, that's a shot. Like that's one of those like film school shots. Like, and they linger on it for mad time and mad long. And even when they linger on, it, I literally paused it and was like, literally had to pause for like 15, 20 minutes, like looking like, like squinting, really thinking about this image. So it was just, to me, it was just, a brilliant movie It's a brilliant movie overall and even though it's like a little slow and a little bit not like my speed i it just is awesome in a lot of other ways so big big salute to this movie powered it off awesome that's a great number five sabrina your number five my number five is definitely a letdown compared to rv3s i still haven't seen power of the dog but i've heard amazing things um Following that up with Inside Bo Burnham, which I don't even know if it necessarily oh, counts Netflix. or if either of you have seen it. I have seen it, have, yes. Oh, you have? Okay. Because like the second I watched this, it came out on like a long weekend um, earlier within the year, like mid-year or something like that. 
And I have, I have the soundtrack on vinyl. I've listened to it on my Spotify, a ridiculous amount. My Spotify wrapped was messed up this year for sure. Um, and also I've just played it constantly. Like I'll be doing laundry and stuff like that. And I'll just have my laptop open and watch and listen. It is a whole experience, but what Bo Burnham was able to accomplish, um, from his place, obviously he is in a lot better of a situation than most uh, like content creators, most artists, um, he has like, you know, disposable income to like put into all this stuff, nice cameras, different things like that. But still he found very innovative ways to make it very like lively and like really, really large, even though it was in like this tiny space in his home. Um, I just find it to be fantastic. I think it's the best thing to kind of be a result of the pandemic. Like we talk about the pandemic film. There was that one with like Chiwetel Ejiofor and, um, and Hathaway yeah. and Anne Hathaway. Yeah. There's like mm -hmm. that there's Malcolm and Marie, which I did have on my list last year. And I know everybody hates that movie, but this to me is the best thing that we have gotten. Awesome. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I did. I need to check that one out. I, I I've been sleeping on uh, checking that one out, Sabrina, but um, I need to, I need to see it too. I haven't seen inside yet. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I have seen inside. What's the, what's the other one? You mentioned another pandemic movie. The, oh, uh, the Chiwetel Ejiofor Anne Hathaway oh, Lockdown or yeah, something? Or locked down. Up. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah, Lockdown. Lockdown. But inside, inside, okay, we're talking about inside. Totally, I forgot what we were talking about inside. Inside, I really, really love. I almost have a little bit of a tougher time calling it a movie personally for me. Like, to me, that feels almost, it almost feels like a variety show a little bit. Like a, Ooh, almost like a stand-up. Like fine. a no, it's not. Oh, no, it's for not sure, for sure. It's, it almost feels like a super creative stand-up, like special, like super creative. I don't know, but that's me. But I, I, I totally get like it is a movie. It's in the form of a movie, so that's definitely understandable. And yeah. I know I'm stretching the boundaries a little bit with this one. Um, and then same thing where like scenes from a marriage with Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac. It's like I don't know, like six or seven hour long episodes, and I'm like, hmm. Can I count this as a movie? No. Like one really Otherwise, long Otherwise I would put so many TV series in here. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do it, but I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of shows that, that have that format of like, this is definitely a movie that they just split up, but it doesn't count. <laughs> uh, let's go to my number five. Speaking of Netflix, we all have Netflix movies at number five. Uh, Netflix really actually did some really interesting stuff this year. And I feel like I'm kind of teasing what's coming up in my list. Because at number five, I have a film that as soon as it dropped on Netflix, I had to see it. It's called The Lost Daughter, starring Olivia Colman. What a movie this is. What an absolute movie this is. It is a very slow-paced, interesting perspective of a mother who has always struggled being a mother and seeing her point of view of another struggling mother as she's vacationing, I believe, in Greece. Uh, and it's a very slow-paced, introspective, almost kind of um, character analysis movie, almost like a Nightcrawler type-ish movie, almost like a Scorsese type character analysis film. That I that from a different perspective, because it is from the perspective of a, of a mother. We see her as a, a younger mother, and we see her obviously as an older one, and her just kind of very detached from society and very detached from everyone around her, and struggling with connecting emotionally with everyone around her. It's a really well done film. It's kind of dark, uh, but it's really, really well done. And I absolutely loved it. Shout out to Maggie Gyllenhaal for her first time feature yeah, film. Yeah, I was gonna what say she directed first it. First time feature. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, I mean, Jesse Buckley, Dakota Johnson, Olivia Coleman, like Dakota, what a cast. Dakota Johnson blew me away. I was like, that's not Dakota Johnson. <laughs> 
I didn't even know that's who it was until like the end of the movie. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even joking. Uh, I just completely blanked on that being Dakota Johnson. Uh, wow. Because I don't really know her that well. I guess that's part of it. But I also was kind of blown away by her performance. So uh, yeah, shout out to The Last Daughter. It's all my number five. Yeah, I, I still got to see that one. But shout out to Netflix for funding a lot of debuts this year i mean um obviously i know tick tick boom is gonna be on the list for some for for y'all coming up later um but i mean also too uh uh halle berry's directorial debut um uh buried i think it was called or yeah bruised 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 uh much better than it had any business being so good good for that too good for that too um also i meant to say during the power of the dog netflix had another great western this year the heart of they fall also an honorable mention, really, really good. That's on the fun, that's more on the fun spectrum, but we're gonna say Andres, my bad. No, 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 I was gonna say that that's another honorable mention I had as well, was Harder They Fall. Harder They Fall, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, I'm, but, you know, going from going from one streaming giant to another, uh, from my number four, uh, hopping over from the world of Netflix. Oh, sorry, one more Netflix honorable mention because I don't have any more Netflix. Oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. I'm, I'm tripping, I'm tripping, never mind. Um, I don't want you to say my, my future films. Yeah, no, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. I'm tripping, I'm tripping. Um, one one streaming network to another, going from Netflix to HBO Max. Um, I really, really dug King Richard. Uh, this was a movie I saw oh. twice in the, I saw once in theaters, and then the same weekend I saw it on HBO Max. Like when I got back home, it was a really moving movie. Everything from Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith just had one of the most anchoring performances he's ever given in his entire career. Um, and just on top of a story about uh, these, uh, you know, young black icons um, from 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 Compton, um, Serena, uh, Venus, and Serena. I'm telling a story that I frankly didn't know that much about, um, but just exposing this story to the to the world in such a sensitive and humanitarian type of way like it didn't and you know obviously i take it a little more personal because you know i'm from compton but they depicted compton in a way that wasn't like super crazy over over the top and like um you know stereotypical um it was just a lot of this movie made a lot of choices that were humanitarian in nature but also um very powerful in its and his portrayal of showing the origin stories of like two of our two of the greatest athletes of all time, like in in in, in our in our world. And I know you know it's definitely it's definitely worthy criticism in saying that the movie could have been more focused on Serena and and on, on Venus and Serena, like the actual daughters themselves. But I do think like uh, it is nice to highlight the the parentage that brought them that story because you know um, because. You know, it's still it, it, like they wouldn't be around, like they wouldn't be who they are without uh, without their father. And frankly, they're both producers on this movie. They're both on set a lot during this movie. So this is a story that they wanted to tell themselves. So the fact that they wanted to tell the story about their father and honor him, and it came out to be such a beautiful, sensitive movie, I think is really powerful. So my number four, King Richard. I do think it's really, really incredible to have that spotlight on the support system because behind so many like notable figures and people that we celebrate is somebody that is constantly like working their ass off to help get them there. And we see it with that. And it genuinely is so beautiful, the love and support that he had for his daughters. Yeah, uh, the the LeVar Ball film coming soon <laughs> to <laughs> Netflix, Never Lost, uh, starring LaMelo, LiAngelo, <laughs> and Lonzo Ball. No, uh, I'm here for that too. Yeah, when he pops up in WWE and ESPN. Uh, that's a great one, man. That's a great one. Uh, you're number four, Sabrina. 
my number four is Spencer, which I know has already been talked about today. Um, I absolutely loved this movie. I watched it, I believe it was on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and I had no idea it was taking place in that time frame. So I thought that was really funny. But Kristen Stewart as a whole, I feel like she and Robert Pattinson as well are always like kind of in that lens of like, oh, these people were in Twilight and they were so bad. So like they're just horrible actors. Why are they even celebrated? And a lot of times with her, people are like Kristen Stewart does one thing. And I think that watch this movie and you can see how incredible her performance is. I feel like she transforms into a version of Princess Diana that is not like a caricature or someone pretending to be this person. She just humanizes this completely. She takes all these different elements of what we knew and what the public knows about Princess Diana and her tragic story and focuses on that like psychological kind of like horror that she experienced being isolated in something so large, so large that like as Americans, we can't even like understand how much um, the royal family is beloved over there. Like they are celebrated and loved. So being an outsider, but at the same time, constantly being like followed and scrutinized and making sure your every move is something that is they want to represent, I think is a horror in itself. And is something that we see, especially in the paparazzi era of like, her time, like the late 90s to mid to late 2000s. With a lot of celebrities, it is very, very horrible. The actual story behind it is something that is so tragic. Um, so this little slice, um, it's just the love that she had for her sons and seeing it in that way, um, I think is something really beautiful. But it also reminds you about like society and, and all these different things. Yeah, that's a great one for sure. Uh, that's why it was on my list as well. So shout out yeah. to Spencer. I need uh, to check that. I really need to watch that one. You like do. ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember seeing that in theater. It's uh, quite an experience for sure. Uh, we are now at my number four. I was going to jump to your number three. So RP3, I completely forgot about my number four. Uh, but speaking of Netflix and speaking of black and white, um, this was my favorite Netflix movie of the year. And it's another one that I've seen kind of recently, not super recently, but kind of recently. Uh, this is Passing by Rebecca Hall, uh, starring Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson, uh, a movie that I was floored at how engaging and how well-paced and how layered this film was when it came to discussing everything about race during this time, 1920s New York, where I, I, I obviously my knowledge of this certain stuff is not super large, but the idea of Passing uh, was something that was done from certain communities and being a true story based on a book of a person who passed as white, even though she came from an African-American community in the city of New York and used that to her advantage to gain privilege, to gain uh, money, to gain a husband who eventually she gained the status in the city. And she meets up with a friend who is played by Tessa Thompson, who is still in that community and who sees her and has a, almost kind of a resentment towards her but still sees her as a friend and, and kind of questions the idea of what it would take to do that and what she would lose as far as herself, her identity, and what she would gain as far as status and privilege. It's a very layered, complex movie about race, identity, privilege, love, uh, uh, the, the white systemic standards of beauty, 
that have been in place. It, it, it's really complex and interesting. I, I just find it completely fascinating. I was so engaged by it and I, and I completely blown away by the end of it. So shout out to my favorite Netflix movie, which is Passing. Wow. And that's Rebecca Hall's debut feature, if I'm not mistaken, it is. right? Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I didn't, I personally didn't see it, uh, but I do look forward to seeing it. Um, I know I won a bunch of acclaim at uh, some film festivals, um, but I also know that I, I, I'm just, you know, I personally think this is a good time to like recommend this book I'm checking out. If you're a film fan and you're looking for some history, especially during Black History Month, check out this book called Colorization, 100, 100 Years of Black Film and a white world and it's basically about like how all throughout all throughout society and especially throughout cinema uh we've had this issue of of color uh color um of color colorism of misrepresentation of bad representation of, of black people and african-americans in cinema and a lot of the times especially in early cinema this passing was like kind of a normal thing i mean that's the plot of uh, a couple of early movies like uh, uh imitation of life and some oscar michelle pictures um, but you know that's you know that that's that was a prevalent thing that happened back during that time too. So I yeah, I, I passing. I want to check out, but also you know that it's just you getting me like all 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 fired up, getting ready to talk about like this issue because it is such a real thing. Like and my grandma used to talk about like the idea of passing a lot when when she was alive too. So you know just all these things are just like real real life. So I definitely want to check out that movie. Yeah, you should, man. It's a very very strong movie for sure. Uh, we're now at our top three films of the year. Uh, RB three, you're number three. Top three. So I, I made a very, I made a very big mistake. Uh, I actually, um, <laughs> I have wrote this list and I did it in the order that I wrote it, but I really, I really goofed. King Richard really should have been number three, and then this movie should have been number four. But that's okay. I actually don't mind. I actually don't mind uh, this being number three. Um, but I do gotta say. There are some con- there's some controversy surrounding um, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie Licorice Pizza. Um, I you know there are some very racist and dated jokes that are in this film that I do not condone of absolutely. Um, so it's just like very. But you schlocky. still loved it. <laughs> What's, I mean, it's very schlocky. I mean, it's very those those things are very schlocky. I mean, that's the reason why it would have been it really would have been like number two honestly uh, if there wasn't like if it wasn't for those like dated jokes and that's why I was number four. But you know right now we're selling on number three. Uh, I personally just love the cinematography of it. Like there's a lot of like there's a lot of movies that we see like the filmmakers evoking like their childhood memories, whether that's Tarantino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Alfonso Colon and like Roma to some extent. Um, but to me, this is personally my favorite and maybe I have a little bit more of a connection to it because I'm from L.A. I'm from California. Um, I also really love the entrepreneurial spirit of like this young kid um, who's played by um, the great Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid. Um, Cooper Hoffman. Yeah, Cooper Hoffman, um, which is really sweet. Um, also the um, ham sisters the whole family is amazing but um particularly lead i mean you know for having a film that's like so like the weight age gap is like weird and you know controversial and there's other films like this year that dealt with that like red rock and other movies and properties but nobody really talked about you know that that in the discourse but i do think like they made this surprisingly charming and like fun and like kind of in a way that I kind of bought into it. Um, and even towards the ending, going into meeting Bradley Cooper's, uh, John Peters character, who was really funny. And then um, the congressman who was dealing with uh, being a closeted um, 
elected official during that time period. It was just a lot of really interesting themes that you wouldn't have expected to be picked up in a movie like this, but it just does. And I don't know, I just liked it. And there's like the soundtrack when I, I know I like a movie when I find myself like digging into the soundtrack, like in my, my normal life. And I'm definitely listening to a licorice piece of soundtrack, like, and like I'm on, on the regular when I'm just like jamming, like on the way home from work. So um, I dig it. I, I really, I really like this movie. I know it's not popular to like it, but I, I like it. You know? It's on my honorable mention. And um, Paul Thomas Anderson is one of my favorite directors. I think he's never made even like a mediocre film. All of them are like good to absolutely fantastic masterpieces. Um, but yeah, I think not in defense of this joke at all. Um, but I think with this one, the audience isn't smart enough to realize that it's not supposed to be funny. Um, that's kind of like what I think. I don't think this is supposed to be like an actual joke. I think it's supposed to be like something like calling out, um, especially at this time period, which is still happens to this day. Um, and even like the age gap as well, it's kind of like more crushy. So I don't think it's like super serious. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the same page with you that I really, really do enjoy this movie. And it was hard for me to narrow down my top 10. Um, it would definitely be in like 13, 14, somewhere in that range. And yeah, also that soundtrack is fantastic. Like 1970s Los Angeles. Chef's mm. kiss. Uh, Sabrina, you're number three. My number three, this one is, these top three are so hard for me. Um, this is really difficult. I love them all, but I am going to say Tick, Tick, Boom, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda is my number three of 2021. Nice. And the reason why is um, I have never, I have not been like more inspired. Um, obviously this is the true story of Jonathan Larson who created Rent and passed away before he even got his flowers with Rent, before he even realized that this was going to be one of the biggest shows of all time. Um, and so it really kind of like, focuses on being a struggling artist and having your passion and dream and talent. And even with all of that, how sometimes there are so many difficult moments, it doesn't matter how talented you are. It just depends on the circumstance and like how to kind of like power through that. Um, and Andrew Garfield's performance is my favorite of this year. I just think he completely embodied everything that we know as like audience members and anybody who like has heard about this story what we know of jonathan larson if you look at side by side of um 3090 which is a fantastic song another like one that is one of my most played on spotify right now um but side by side performances he is picking up on all the mannerisms and stuff like that but in the same way kristen stewart wasn't like a caricature of the person that's what he brought to the table with this as well it feels like in honor of what this person brought to the table and never got a chance to see themselves. Um, so I think for like anybody who's kind of like a struggling artist or creator in any way, it just kind of gives you that little bit of like hope. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tick, Tick, Boom is, as soon as the movie opened with that song, I was just like, oh my God, a 30 year old struggling artist, what? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is way too personal. Uh, and he happens to be like a swimmer too, and he gains like like creativity and strength as he swims. I was like, that's exactly <laughs> who I am. Uh, yeah, this movie hit hard. What a that's a great great number three for sure. Yeah, great. I have to finish it. Uh, I've started it a couple what? of times. It's just oh, so first time I started it, the first like the first like the first song really did throw me off because I was like, yo, this is kind of this is good, but it's kind of sad. Like, yeah, I was like kind of like in a happy spirit. And then the second time I watched it, I did get through like the first 
hour and a half and it was it did get really beautiful and enlightening it just i didn't i was like sleepy it was like late at night so i didn't you know fell asleep but that being said though i do think tick tick boom if i finished it all the way through it would have made this list somehow you know for sure yeah there's a couple movies you got to see when you're in a more positive mood and when you're in a certain mood for sure i, I definitely right. agree with that uh my number three I'll just say this for my top three. Any of these could be my number one. This technically could be like you could just switch it up, to be honest. So my number three could obviously for a moment, it was my number one for the longest time. And obviously I flip flop back and forth. But now my number three, you already mentioned, Sabrina, it's The Green Knight. Uh, as soon as I saw this movie, I was kind of blown away by it with everything that it's tackling when it comes to existentialism and and you mentioned talks of masculinity but i also feel like just masculinity in general uh and just the nature of storytelling the nature of uh finessing the nature of of making yourself bigger than you are that's why i i said this is like the most I, I tweeted out when i watched the movie i said it's a medieval hip-hop movie i still think it's a medieval hip-hop movie um it's like the perfect embodiment of like what hip hop represents, which is all about like, yo, I'm a gangster. I got this going on. I got a castle. I got this. I can kill anyone. I can kill green knights. Like it's it's kind of like a rap and a poem and, and all about like the stories of what he's been through, like when it comes to uh, the headless woman that he meets and helping her out and what he learns through that experience to me is one of the most significant moments of the film. But also the idea of I can be a legend if I come back from this, but I'm a cheater if I do it, or I can die from this and I can be a legend that way, but I'm not going to be living to see the benefits. Can I live with myself if I'm not speaking the truth or if I'm not spitting the truth uh, in my hip hop version? Uh, I really do feel like that's a cool idea and premise when it comes to the idea of legends and stories that are passed down. They're passed down because that person lived to tell the tale, what happens if they don't is kind of the premise of it. And I, everything the movie does is just mind blowing. The giant scene, the fox along the way, just, it's incredible. The movie's incredible. Even what you're saying with like the whole like legend and like telling the tales and different things like that, the way that they show the progression of like time and his journey in this film um, with the little like medieval puppets back at that day and the children watching it, so fascinating what David Lowry did with this story. Yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, RB3, you're number two. Uh, my number two. So um, I thought, again, I was all uh, tripping because I thought The Power of the Dog was my last Netflix movie. It wasn't. Um, and I know what y'all are thinking. No, Army of the Dead is not my number two movie of the year. It was so close. It was really, it was almost there. Um, Come on, man. But I got a movie that honestly <laughs> probably has a worse Rotten Tomato score, and that's uh, Don't Look Up. Don't Look Up. I am an unabashed, big fan of this movie. Uh, I think this is like one of the weirdest, funniest, uh, most craziest movies ever, but I, it just touches me, man. It speaks to everything that I believe and I represent. Um, and even though it is like a goofy satire and a lot of people think, oh, it's really not like satire. Um, I think it is satire. I think it's poignant. I think, you know, I think if you look at what literally happened in 2019 with the COVID, 2019, 2020 with the COVID-19 pandemic, like 
that's literally what this whole movie is. Like, they don't look up, don't wear a mask. Like, that's what, it's the same thing that we've seen in real life in society. It's not just, a, to me, it's not a satire. It's almost like a mirror. It's literally like showing you what is happening. It's like a funhouse mirror of what's happening in real life, except like, it's a little more comic-y and goofy, but it was what was happening just a year ago. And it's kind of what's happening now. I get that a lot of people, you know, I saw a Wisecrack video of, uh, like, it's, it's not just satire because it doesn't really add something new to the conversation, which I do kind of get. And there's definitely a place for that, for what's to be added new to a conversation. But, you know, that wasn't the movie's intent. The movie wasn't intending to be like the, the Wisecrack video referred to like Veep and how Veep is like a movie about a controversial president who like acts like in their own self-interest, but it does it in a little more of like a quote unquote smart way. I don't think Adam McKay's intent is to like be quote unquote smart or be subversive. I think his intent is to literally reflect what his beliefs are. And I think he does a really good job in executing that. Um, I don't think a lot of his movies look particularly well shot or beautiful, but I think this is the one movie that like the cinematography actually looks really, really well done. All of the acting across the board, Leo, Kay Blanchett, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, even my man Tyler Perry has some laugh out loud moments for me. Um, so. It was just dope. I can't not think about this movie. I've watched it probably more move. I've actually probably watched it more than any other movie this so far this year. So or, or last year. So don't look up. Number two. Oh my gosh. I I love that. I really do love that because this is a movie I really enjoyed as well. Um, and I saw it a few weeks before it came out. And the second I watched it, I was like, this is going to stir up so much conversation. So many people are not going to like this. Um, but I think the first half is incredibly strong. And again, to put into perspective, like this was in, it was supposed to go into production pre pandemic, like pre COVID-19 even happening. So the fact that we could take this and kind of reflect it to so many different things in our society 24 seven, because there are just some people that don't want to see what's exactly in front of them. And it's frustrating. Yes. Um, but yeah, like, cause I, I know like the intent originally was definitely like climate change. So it's kind of just really odd timing that this comes in a time where even more severe than ever are people like divided and seeing that divide so rapidly on social media, on everything, Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi, like their yeah. stuff, Jonah Hill, Jonah Hill was oh. so good. His jokes were ridiculous and we hated him. It was perfect. Yeah. Um, I did really enjoy it. I think the second half wasn't like as strong anymore, um, but I still really, really enjoyed this movie. I, I actually like this movie too. Uh, I, I didn't love it like you did, RB3. Not enough to be on my top 10 list, but I did enjoy it uh, as well. It, it was just the ending, that a, a few things at the end that kind of threw me off and kind of soured me a little bit on it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely felt like there was a lot there. What's ironic, guys, and I just got to say it, and I know we're you know short for time, but I, we're almost at our number one. So it's ironic how a lot of people can see this movie and there's obviously the discourse. I didn't see you tweet about this a lot, RB3. I wonder why you didn't tweet oh, about it. Nah, I'm not trying to be on Twitter <laughs> arguing about this movie. Which, by the way, like, I think that's also what kind of made me like it a lot more too because like seeing how many people were capping on it just like made me kind of tweets I, I went into this movie thinking it was going to be the worst movie like ever like is adam mckay he lost it like i was totally wrong it's just it's a matter of perspective you know it's, if people want if people want a satire that's a little more like highbrow and a little more fancy you know they could watch veep or they could watch what's that one the russian movie um or not the russian but the one that was like about like the I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not mentioning satire, but if they want something a little more, if I want something a little more goofy, I want something that's a little more 
true to life. And also, too, by the way, Mark Rylance's performance as that billionaire dude, <laughs> absolutely hilarious. And we actually, again, so real to real life. Like, we had a billionaire in real life who I'm not going to say a bad word about because he gave me a bunch of scholarship money, but a billionaire in real life who literally stopped a stopped uh, uh, vaccines from getting massively distributed for his own profit. Like, this is real life, like stuff literally being translated on the screen. I'm just like, this is, this is mind blowing that people aren't connecting the dots here. So I don't know. I, I, I agree with you uh, for sure. There's definitely a lot there that's that's true to life. And, and I just feel like it's funny how a lot of people might still not get it. And that's a whole different conversation to be had, but that's a good number two. Sabrina, you're number two, right? Yes, my number two um, from the director of Raw. I remember that one had oh. a lot of talk when that came out um, at like the film festivals and everything. Following that up, just insanity. This is another director. Like Julia is a visionary. Like I'm just like, I don't even know the story she is trying to tell, but Titan. Titan is the film. Um, again, with these, especially my top two, even more so than something like Tick, Tick, Boom, because of course I'm biased with the whole Andrew Garfield of it all and still really enjoy it. I genuinely think my number two and my number one are perfect masterpieces. There has never been a time in a theater that I have experienced quite like this. Um, I know I was like one of the first audiences to see it and nobody, we didn't know anything about this movie. There is just, it starts off in one place and in the best way possible, because I know this sounds negative, but in the best way possible, you cannot even anticipate what you are going to see in the coming scenes. Every single time it is going in all different directions. Um, I don't even want to say too much because I would just highly recommend everybody to check this out because I think that's truly the beauty of the story. And I don't know if either of you have seen it. I haven't. Wow. Like, yeah, I really don't want to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. This is just an absolute masterpiece. Of course, I believe it won the Palme d'Or and Mm -hmm. it's basically been kind of like shut out of the Oscars, which I'm pretty surprised about. It's not on like those lists for nominations at all. I think this is something that's, so out there that it definitely is not palatable to every single person but i do think it's this grotesque intricate sensual amazing masterpiece um that also just like deals with so many themes like gender identity just so much um in this story it's insane i i still have to see it obviously and and i definitely want to especially because of the conversation around it because of your recommendation as well. It's in French, right? It's a French film? Yes. Okay. Um, All righty. Getting to my number two. Speaking of cinematic masterpieces, (laughs) this is a film that garnered a lot of conversation as well. Uh, I believe most of it positive. I feel like most people came out of it and were pretty blown away by what they saw. And... It's because it's absolutely beautiful. It's a stunning film. It's called Dune uh, by Denis Villeneuve. Um, We saw this movie together, guys. I was sitting right next to you guys. I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice. Um, But I absolutely love this film. It blew me away. The cinematography, the score, everything that makes cinema, cinema. When it comes to visuals, when it comes to scale, when it comes to production design, costumes, performances, creating worlds that we don't even know how to fathom how they're real, but they feel so real and so tactile to us. That is what Denny accomplished in this film. I feel like it's an incredible film. I feel like everything that the film is saying when it comes to resources, when it comes to 
uh, squeezing planets, when it comes to war, when it comes to battles, when it comes to fighting over money, when it comes to capitalism in general. I mean, that's what we're seeing nowadays, especially. I feel like this film just tackles that while adding so many intimate and powerful and huge moments in a perfect, perfect embodiment of a first film uh, for a two-part series. And that's why it is my number two. Hell yeah. I mean, I, I love that. I know how much you enjoyed it. And I know all three of us really enjoyed a lot of it. Um, this is like the sci-fi epic of all sci-fi epics. So to see it like brought to the screen in this way, um, especially from a director like Denny, like chef's kiss for sure. I'm very, very excited for the next part in this story. RB3, we are now at your number one film of the year. Well, uh, it's also Dune. So my, you know, oh, this, uh, Dune what? is my number one of uh, of, of, of twenty twenty one. Yeah, that actually ended up hitting my number one spot. Um, how did it I really, get up there? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I really, like, how I did really, you get up there? Now, how did how, how did the balloon float to the top? Now, I, yeah. I really, I really, I really enjoyed Dune. You know, when I first saw it, uh, had a little bit of, I had a little bit of a tougher time. Uh, with uh, getting it all, because it's just such a big movie to grasp. It has a lot of themes and ideas that, you know, you just, you're not going to familiarize yourself with. Um, but, you know, just more thinking about how, you know, just from every single detail in the movie, like, you know, when filmmakers make films, they have to make intentional choices, right? All the way down to the production design, to the, uh, you know, composition and all that. And I feel like every single frame of Dune means something. Like, it feels like, weighty and powerful and even in the slow build like anticipation scenes like there's nothing like cooler that stands out in my mind and when um when the the people are about to invade i guess they're about to attack um timothy chalamet's people and 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 duncan idaho is about to uh, unleash on them but there's just this one really wide shot of just like these little tiny figures the slowly descending onto this massive giant scope set i'm just like dang they had to build out this entire area just for this one shot and it's just powerful this is a lot of it's just really the power of cinema like you said it's really the film that shows you like the truest power of cinema um the flashbacks and flash forward scenes are just amazing to me um the scene you know the interrogation scene is next level um all the acting is just really cool everything about this movie is just prime time sci-fi and you know Obviously, I love Arrival. Not the biggest fan of Blade Runner 2049, um, but to me, this is peak Denny Villeneuve, like in his flavor. And you could tell this is a movie he's been wanting to make his entire life. So, definitely my number one for sure, for sure. Damn, I love it. Love to see it. We have uh, synchronization here, man. Uh, Sabrina, your number one film of the year. My number one is a film that I don't want to talk about too much because it is very, very, very new. And I count it as 2021, even though it just released in the U.S. like right now. Um, but that is the worst person in the world. Um, this film, I think, is just absolutely so special. I know we talked about so many different types of like just very small, like slice of life or just uh, like coming of age and all these things. And it seems like this is a 
compilation of kind of like growing up, like kind of like coming of age for someone in their late twenties, which of course we talked about with like inside and tick, tick, boom, both like having those songs that relate to being in your late twenties and what it is like to be coming of age at that time. Cause of course in our life, we're like, we're constantly growing and changing and evolving. And that doesn't end at 20 that continues on forever. And I feel like there's not a lot of representation of like how that feels when you are in your mid to late twenties, when you're in your thirties, when you're whatever, and how life just constantly shifts and change changes. Um, whether it's like love or your aspiration or your passions, um, the lead in this film, I do not know how to pronounce her name. She plays Julie, just absolutely fantastic. I will learn 100%, but if there's somebody I could give a um, best actress like award to it would be her 100% and even if you're not into like subtitles or anything like that I would really really recommend this one because the way it deals with life and death and everything in between I think is just like so so special and it feels like we're looking into a compilation of somebody's life like a montage of so many different moments of like falling in love out of love taking on a new passion, just stuff that we deal with all the time. It is just so, it, it resonates, I think, with like anybody that would watch this no matter what. Um, and I also, I know I've talked about this um, basically since I've started with you guys um, right at the beginning, but something I love is a woman protagonist who is not like a perfect person. I feel like a lot of the times if like a woman is imperfect in a film, she's the villain or something else. But at the same time, like we are human and we do make mistakes and we do make bad decisions. And you can totally see that and like judge somebody based off of it. But at the same time, you can understand their shortcomings and how they're growing, adapting and learning from it. So for me, this film was just like comfort. This is ultimate, ultimate comfort um, for, I think, anybody that wants to experience it. Speaking of uh, films that, I mean, obviously that's a great choice because I have I haven't seen it. It's, I believe it's a foreign film, right? It uh, is. I believe it's from Norway. Norway. I will let you know. I could be is, wrong. It's spoken in English or not? No, it is not. Okay. Uh, speaking of foreign films, <laughs> speaking of subtitles, uh, my number one is also a foreign film. And it's another film that was released internationally and around the world before it was ever released here in 2021. At the beginning of the year, and yes, I'm going back to my roots, y'all. I'm bringing it back. Uh, talking about an anime film. Uh, it is called Bell. Bell is my number one film of the year. This movie is absolutely stunning. It is done by Studio Kizo, uh, who has done movies, who are a recent independent studio who have done movies before. Uh, they are the ones who created Mariah. Uh, they did uh, films in the past. They've done The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, which is kind of their staple film. Uh, but Studio Kizo is uh, made by, I'm going to mispronounce his homie's name, uh, Mamuro Hosara. Uh, Mamuro Hosara, or Momura Hosara, uh, who is a Japanese filmmaker who is also credited as being one of the creators of Digimon. I don't know if you guys remember Digimon, but I grew up yeah. with Digimon. I love Digimon. And Digimon. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also, Summer Wars. He made Summer Wars. I don't know if you guys have seen Summer Wars as well. Uh, but a lot of special anime films. And this is another one, guys. This is his take on Beauty and the Beast, kind of inspired by the story and also by the animated film from Disney. But it's about 
hope and life and overcoming and, and pressure and trying to come into yourself. It, it, it's such a beautiful, well-told story with some of the best visuals I've seen on screen. It just kind of blew me away and it floored me what you can do through the power of animation and through the power of music because I feel like this score and this music that comes out of this movie, it's also musical, which is really cool, is, is one of the best I've heard, if not the best I heard all year. And we heard a lot of music this year when it comes to musicals and when it comes to scores. Uh, completely floored me, blown away. I highly recommend everyone watch Bell. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's, and I've literally never heard of that movie until just now. So um, you're putting me on to something. And I'm reading about it. You know, it got a lot of good looks. I'm reading in the, uh, the, it had a 15, 14 minute standing ovation at Cannes, uh, which is apparently the seventh longest standing ovation behind the paper boy. Uh, which I don't know if I've seen the paper point, but who would have thought that movie would get in a standing ovation? What? Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, that's crazy. You put me on to your name, which was also your number one in like 2018, right? Or 2019? That's why I yeah. said I'm bringing it back. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing uh, it all the way back to Bringing it all the way back to your name. Yeah. When that was yeah. my number one film of the year for that year. And now it's uh, Bell for this year. Yeah. So Dang. your number one, I remember, so I wasn't here in 20, 2018. So that's when your name must have been 2019 uh, was marriage story, which we shared together. Uh, um, but like just thinking about it overall with our list, I feel like they were very, very varied. Like we did not, we barely like crossed over with each other true. too much. Like I'm really surprised at the, at the films that we had. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like I always get crap for being like, Mr. Blockbuster superhero. I don't have any superhero movies on my list. Uh, no Spider Man. Yeah, bro. No Spider Man. I, I keep it. I keep it indie or I keep it small as much as I can because those are the movies that stick with me the most, to be honest. And if you look at my past number ones, I don't know if you guys can remember your past number ones. You just mentioned them, Sabrina, um, for the past. But obviously, Marriage Story. I had One Night in Miami last year. Uh, your name. Get out. Um, I just I forget my other ones. My last two were um, I'm thinking of ending things and marriage story. Yeah. See. Yeah. 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 And that uh, parasite. I don't remember what last year was though. Yeah. I don't remember what last year was. To be honest. Last year was probably the biggest flop. Blur. To be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it kind of was. Uh, the only film that got me was that one. To be honest, that one and uh, the Stephen Yen film too. Um, Minari. Yeah. Minari. Yeah. Minari. Uh, we did it, guys. We counted down our top 10 films of the year. Do we want to go through? Do we want to go through feel? each of us, like count down 10 through one really quick, just to kind of oh, summarize it for anybody sure. listening? Uh, RB3. Uh, okay, so 10 through one. Okay, so number 10 is Zola. Uh, number nine is Corilla. Number eight, Shang-Chi. Number seven, Come On, Come On. Number six, The Last Duel. Number five, The Power of the Dog. Number six, I'm sorry, Jesus. Number four, uh, King Richard. Um, number three, by technicality, Licorice Pizza. Um, number two, Don't Look Up. And number one, Dune. Sabrina. My number 10 is Last Night in Soho. Number nine is In the Heights. Number eight, No Way Home. Seven, Shiva Baby. Six, The Green Knight. Five, Inside. Four, Spencer. Three, Tick, Tick, Boom. Two, Titan, and one is the worst person in the world. At my number 10, I have The Matrix Resurrections. At number nine, I have The Last Duel. 
At number eight, I have Nightmare Alley. At number seven, Spencer. At number six, Coda. At number five, The Lost Daughter. At number four, Passing. At number three, The Green Knight. At number two, Dune. And at number one, Bell. Now we did it. Our top 10 films of 2021. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, this is probably the latest we've ever done it, which I think is crazy. But hey, yo, <laughs> life happens. Stuff happens. Uh, we did it anyways. I want to hear where everyone can find you. Sabrina, where can everyone find you? You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Sabrina X Monica. Also on Twitter and TikTok at Sabrina on Film. RB3. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Director RB3. And you can find me at Squad Leader Rates. Obviously, guys, make sure you guys follow us at First Cut TMO as well. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Thank you so much for watching, and we are peacing out. Peace.